Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. All right, so last Sunday morning, I knew immediately what the general idea was going to be today. Um, And every time I looked at it, it was the same thing. And uh, I guess the main themes of what I'm going to talk about today is don't go backward and don't go back on your oaths, especially to God. And Abraham is dying. In our portion, Yitzhak, Isaac, is a grown man, and he needs to marry. And if my estimations are correct, and if, I've, if I'm remembering correctly, he's about 60 years old here. Okay? Abraham doesn't want Isaac marrying a Canaanite woman. So he calls for one of his servants. And that servant is described this way, Zakan Beto, an elder of his house, Hamoshel Becholasherlo, the ruler of over all that he had. And Moshel is the word there, and it comes from the same root. It is the same letters as Mashal, which is where we get the idea of a proverb, a lesson, an example, a story. But it also can be a prophecy. So that person is never named, and I know, I think within the last three years, I've taught you guys that I believe that person is a picture of the one who does the work of the gospel. He's an unnamed servant. He's sent out to fetch a bride for the master of his house. That's effectively what we are. That's effectively what Yeshua has sent us to do, is find His bride. Even though we ourselves are part of it, we have to think of ourselves as a servant in His house, going out to bring His gospel to other people, to fetch Him a bride. This servant goes out because he is sent out. The last we saw of Isaac was when he was raised off the altar. We haven't seen him since then in the Scriptures. We don't see him again until he gets married. So this is an intervening story, and it's a picture, in my view, of the gospel itself. So Avraham makes this particular servant put his hand under his thigh. And I don't think anybody fully understands why that, what that means. It obviously was an ancient custom because it's done in more than one place. The thigh is the place where Yaakov would be wounded, Um, There's a major artery or vein going through there. I don't know which, maybe both. Um, He's debilitated. He can't get up, so maybe that's part of the reason why. Um, But the thigh, the word for it is very interesting, and it paints a picture to me, and immediately I thought of Yeshua having on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. 
Melech HaMelechim, Adon HaAdonim, King of Kings, Master of Masters. So the word Yerech is the word thigh. So Avraham said Yerechi, my thigh. But it's also Yerecho, Jericho. So the word for Jericho is his thigh. And in our psalm, we read this. And I don't know if you caught it. How many of you, when you read Psalm 45, either this morning or earlier in this week, did you see that it was a messianic psalm? Very much so. And in it, in verse 3, 4, and 5, it says this, You are fairer than the children of men. This is talking about the king that was, is being introduced in the psalm. You are fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, Elohim has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh. And we know what Yeshua's sword is, right? His word. O mighty one, your glory and your majesty. So his word is his glory and his majesty. And in your majesty prosper. Ride on in behalf of truth and meekness. So this king is being described as a conqueror and as valiant and as mighty and at the same time, meek. And that's who we are supposed to be. And that is certainly who Yeshua is. And let your right hand teach you tremendous things. So, the sword is being girded upon the thigh. In Revelation, Yeshua has something written on his thigh. I believe it could possibly be this, which bears the name resting on my thigh right now. Almost all four of them are. And we have Jericho alluded to, hinted at. And in our portion, Avraham waxed very old. And in our portion, David waxed very old. So both of the major patriarchs are old in our portion. Jericho, Jericho, is probably the oldest continuously occupied city in the world. Archaeologists think it goes back 9,000 years. You and I know that's not possible. Their data is off because they assume things about the earth that are not true. But nonetheless, it is very, very old. All right? So it means his thigh. It was circled seven times. And in our portion, Avraham is making an oath. And he, and he says to his servant, Va'ashbiacha. And the middle word, the root word of that verb is Sheva, which is the number seven, which is also the root word of the word Shabbat. And Jericho was circled seven times. And before Jericho was circled seven times, two men went in there and made an oath. And so a thread came down on the wall of his thigh. Are you with me? Yeah. Bless you. Ashbiacha, I will swear, I will make you swear. That's like I'm swearing you in. This is what Abraham is saying to his servant. I'm swearing you in by Yahweh, the Elohim of heaven and the Elohim of the earth. He's being very specific. What that tells me, and when I read it Sunday morning, I remember thinking, 
How can our Jewish people say that Abraham didn't know his name? He swore in his servant twice in that little portion of our paragraph, that, that, uh, that little paragraph of our portion that we just read. He said his name. He made him swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. Rahav made the oath with the two spies at Jericho, and she tied the tola'at thread, the scarlet thread, out of the window to save her household. And they told her, don't go back on your oath. Also at Jericho, the prophecy of Eliyahu's departure to, was made to Elisha by prophets from Jericho. So Eliyahu is about to not die. And these prophets prophesy it to Elisha. And Eliyahu had gone to Jericho and basically told them that and gave him the prophecy to take. He did, he, I think they didn't want to, he didn't want a long goodbye. That's what it looks like to me. But the message came from Jericho. David's men who were shamed in battle. I have to look back. I haven't looked back at it. But they were shamed in battle over some way and they had to shave off their beards. Anybody remember that? They went back to Jericho to regrow their beards and build their, build their manhood back. Herod lived there. King Herodus that we just read about lived there. Herod died there. And, while, and Yeshua ministered there, and the two things that happened there were at separate times. It seems like every time, if you read all the Gospels, it seems like every time... Yeshua went through Jericho, somebody received their sight. Blind Bartimaeus was from there. Another account of two blind men was, were from there. And Zacchaeus climbed the sycamore tree so he could see Yeshua. He was blind by virtue of his lack of stature. So Abraham makes this unnamed servant swear an oath under his thigh. And the, ser the servant asks him this, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring your... That's a fancy way of saying, Do I have to bring your son back unto the land from where you came? Avraham is sending his servant without the son that the bride whom he's never seen is being proposed to to marry a man she's never seen. The odds of that going well, are not good. Right? And he says to him, Hishamer lecha. So the, the servant asks, basically, shouldn't I bring Isaac with me? That's <laughs> what he's asking. What happens if I don't bring him with me and she decides not to come? Uh, he says, Hishamer lecha. Pen tashivet benishama. Watch out for yourself lest you return Aleph Tav, my son, to there. Now that, to me, goes a little bit deeper, it can, than just, careful that you don't bring my son back there, because the Aleph and Tav is in there, and Isaac is a foreshadowing of Yeshua, and Haran, the place where his servant is going, is the birthplace of paganism. 
the birthplace of the Trinity, the birthplace of Mithras, which is Christmas, the birthplace of all of the all of the fertility rites that everybody, that every faith has inherited, it all started there. And he's saying, be careful for yourself that you don't bring my son, the Alephantov, back there. And of course, we know that people of faith have done that. They did it 1,700 years ago. Maybe a bit of a reach, but I believe that in this picture, Avraham is, a, is an image of the father and his unnamed servant is the image of us bringing the gospel to people. Do not return the elephant Tav, my son, there. And the word for return there is Tashiv, Teshuva. So we know that we repent and start heading toward God. And here he's being told, don't do that again. Don't repent and go backwards. Don't repent from your repentance. Haran is his former house. It's the place where Abraham was called out from. He lived originally in Ur, and he lived in Haran next. All of that area is Aramea. And like I said, it was the birthplace of all of those things. So Yitzhak's bride does not need to see the groom in order to trust. Abraham had to put a lot of trust in the plan of God. Did you notice that God did not tell Abraham to do this? He knew it was the right thing to do. And the bride, he's hoping, will see that this person, this servant that is standing there in front of her represents the family that she's going to join and glean from the image that he presents. So Abraham trusts this guy to represent him well enough to provoke a bride out of her homeland and bring her 500, 600 miles away to people she's never met, to an old man she's never seen before, to marry. I want you to get the idea of the level of trust that Abraham has to have. He's emotional. He's about to die. He wants to see his son married before he passes, right? He's old. He might not be in his deathbed yet, but he's old because he lives for another ridiculous amount of years and has a bunch more children, but can't remember where in the chronology we are, but he's an old man, right? But still, he has to trust this servant, and he has to trust the girl on the other end, that she understands what's going on here and who she's being invited to become a family with. She doesn't need to see him. She sees everything he brought. She sees his virtue. If you remember the story, our portion didn't go that far, but you remember the story. This man is a very virtuous man, loyal to Abraham. You know, would not betray his master and shows that. And she sees all of that. And I believe that's what told her she could go. Some people have to have something to prove that Yeshua is the Son of God, other than the Word of God, other than the message. And certainly, everyone who goes and declares and invites people to become Yeshua's bride aren't as faithful as this servant was to Abraham. They're not as faithful to Messiah. They don't represent Him well. Right? But we should. 
We shouldn't need to see the groom himself. Yeshua, as a, as a matter of fact, and I just thought this yesterday. The words went through my mind, and I believe it was more of a going through my soul and my spirit, standing at the back door looking out the window, just thinking at some point during the week. And, and, and I remember the words of Yeshua, happy are those who have not seen and yet have believed, yet have trusted. And that's who she's representing here. She never, she never saw him. People need to see the Shroud of Turin. Anybody seen the new, all the information? That, that thing's getting advertised like, I don't know what the analogy is, but it's, you know, it, it's almost a political <laughs> advertisement. It's out, the Catholics are just pouring it out there. The DNA tests they're doing and all the stuff they're doing. See, this is his shroud. This is his shroud. I don't care. I never needed it. I don't need it. it, it and it probably is not his shroud. Why do you need it? It's a wicked generation that seeks a sign. So this bride believes the servant of Abraham leaves and never goes back home. She never sees that family again. Why shouldn't Isaac return there? It's probably what that servant was wondering. Why shouldn't he go with me? Isn't Canaan worse? Canaan is worse. Spiritually, Canaan is way worse than Aramea. Their sinfulness has gotten so bad that God had to warn Abraham 400 years ahead of time that he was going to destroy those people. When their iniquity becomes complete, they're going to be destroyed, and you're going to do it. But Abraham understands this. The son of the promise does not belong where God called him out from. Abraham knew the power of a woman's allure. He listened to his own wife and committed adultery because of his wife's suggestion. He knows the weakness of men. And he knew that that would probably pull at Isaac. He could have gone there and got starry-eyed over Laban's riches, right? And liked the land and stayed there and not stayed to inherit the promise. There was danger in sending Isaac back. When you're called out and set apart for a purpose, it's permanent. Like I said, Abraham could have let his emotion get the better of him, but instead he allowed God's purposes to remain his purpose and not deviate from what God told him to do. Abraham could have compromised and he could have, in his own mind, he could have guaranteed the mission. I'm going to send Isaac, he'll fall in love, he'll bring her back. But he trusted that servant and he told that servant, Yahweh, the Elohim of heaven. He swore him in to that name. who took me from my father's house. So he's recalling the fact that he was called out from there and from the land of my nativity and who spoke unto me and swore unto me. So here is an oath again, saying, unto your seed will I give this land. He will send his malach before you. You and I know who that messenger is. 
So this unnamed servant had basically the theophany of Yeshua going with him. Invisible. Not showing up. He never show, He never manifests as best we can tell, but you know he's with him. Right? From there shall you take a wife for my son. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you shall be cleared from my oath. Only you shall not bring my son back there. So he makes that doubly clear. Don't bring him back there for your own self. Why for his own self? Guard yourself from bringing my son back there because you're standing in the way of God's plan if you do that. Sometimes we take it upon ourselves to save people. We allow our emotions to cloud our judgment, compromise our walk in order to make the mission succeed. We do just like Abraham. We think we can intervene and interfere with our own power and solve the problem and get them to come in. And that's not the model. The purpose of Isaac being in the land was so that he could inherit it and fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham. And in our portion, we have another deathbed oath in our Haftarah. We read it, Then Melech David, King David, answered and said, Call for me Bat Sheva. Is it a coincidence that her name means daughter of the oath? Daughter of seven. And she came into the presence of the king and stood before the king, and the king swore and said, As Yahweh lives, who has redeemed my soul out of all adversity, truly, as I swore unto you. So this is God speaking to David now. David is quoting what God said to him. By Yahweh Elohei Yisrael saying, actually, I think he's saying his quote to Bathsheba. Assuredly, Shlomo, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Truly, I will do it this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and prostrated herself to the king and said, Let my Adon Melech David live forever. So he is making sure that his wife understands that he is going to keep his oath and her son is going to rule in his place after he dies. David was old and stricken in years, just like Abraham was, and he knew the plan of God for his sons. He knew that Adoniah, his second son, after Absalom, who had died, I think, at this point, was not supposed to be king. That Solomon, Shlomo, was from a different woman. Natan, the prophet, he knew what David's oath was to Bathsheba. He knew what God's plan was to put Solomon on the throne. And he knew that, in this case, intervening was appropriate because David was incapacitated. He saw the treachery of Adoniah saying, I will be king. And I believe here there's a mini picture of Mashiach HaSheker, the false Messiah, taking over, taking the throne from the rightful son. He's Jewish because he's one of David's sons, but he's from another mother. He exalts himself. Mashiach HaSheker will exalt himself above all that is called God. 
and he conferred his trust on Yoav ben Tzruyah and one of the priests. So he involved people that would be necessary in order for, to make his usurpation work. He made himself official, religiously and politically. And the, the false messiah will do that. And many people will side with him just like people sided with Adonia. But Tzadok the Kohen and Benayahu and Natan were loyal to David. And if you take their names and string them together, you have a sentence. A righteous son of Yah is a gift. And Natan, Nathan, trusted in the king's character when he called Bathsheba, the daughter of the oath, the bride of the king, and sent her in and said, Behold, while you yet talk there with the king, so basically he was saying, Bathsheba, he instructed her to go in and tell David about the treachery. Tell David he's being betrayed. That's treachery. Go in and tell him about it. And he says, while you're yet talking, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. And here is a big biblical hint. Male. It's the same word that Yeshua used when he said, I did not come to abolish the Torah, but to fulfill it. Confirm. I will come in and confirm your words. And of course, David says, truly, I swore unto you by Yahweh Elohei Yisrael. So he is identifying who he swore by. He's not going to go back on his word. He could have just allowed Adonijah, who was his son, to be king, just to not have a big brouhaha in his family, just to keep the peace and let it be. But he didn't go back on his own word. People go back on their word to God all the time. I see it all the time. It grates on me. It bothers me. And I have to just, I have to show grace. I have to just forget about it and hope that they see it. And maybe I do it sometimes too. I don't know. I know in the past I did. God wanted Solomon on the throne. And if I if Adonia, I think about this, if Adonia, if he were king material, he wouldn't have done what he did. He would have waited for David to appoint him, and even if he didn't, he would still respect his father. But treachery loomed in his heart. Bathsheba knew that David was a loyal man and knew, I think, that if, if he knew what was going on, he would fix it. So she went in because she could have been killed. She could have been punished for accusing one of his sons who was not her own. It could have looked like family division, and that's all it is, and jealousy and all of that. But she trusted his character, David's character, to go before him with it. David was called out of the pasture to be a king. He didn't go backwards. He could have went back to shepherding things, shepherding sheep, and rejected the crown and all the responsibility that comes with it and the trouble that it caused his family. 
But he didn't quit. He knew that Shlomo would be king after him. Avraham was called out of Haran. Yitzchak was called to stay in the land. The oath was given to him to see the fulfilling of the promise of God. And Yeshua made promises to those who would follow him through trust. So in a similar way, Yeshua has made an oath with us. And one of the ways that he did is he said all of these things. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You shall be comforted. You'll inherit the earth. Be well satisfied. You shall be shown mercy. You shall see Elohim. Remember the, the Bartimaeus and Jericho? Everybody that every time Yeshua passed through Jericho, somebody got their sight. They shall be called the sons of Elohim. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And your reward is increased in heaven when you're persecuted for his sake. And then he says, Do not expect that I have come to nullify the Torah or the prophets. I've come not to nullify, but to confirm it. So Yeshua is saying that the mark of one who follows the Torah is that in spite of all the bad things they go through, they're happy. Because the walk of faith is not an easy walk. But we're supposed to remain with the understanding that we are blessed if we walk this walk. Because all the things that he said are things that the Torah teaches you to be. Poor in spirit, not overly desirous of wealth, mournful, over the evil things that you see in the earth. Lot was tormented in his soul over the ungodly things that he saw in the people breaking Torah every day. That's the mournfulness that I think God's talking about here. Meek. Everybody knows what that is. Hungry for righteousness. I can't understand people who don't want to study the Word of God. I don't get it. People who say they believe and don't want to study the Word of God every day. I don't get it. Merciful, we're supposed to be. Peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness, all of those things are supposed to be the mark of those who follow Yeshua. And by, by continuing to do those things in the face of the persecution, that's the picture that we present to the bride. Yeshua himself was called out of Mitzrayim. Do you realize that? And it was prophesied that he would be. Joseph could have stayed there. It was safe. Probably got used to it. Lived there for quite some time. It's a picture. Mitzrayim replaced Babel, Babylon, as the, the seat of idolatry. So if, 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 you, if you go back far enough, Babel is where it all started. All right? And then by the time of Abraham, Mitzrayim was the seat of wickedness, the throne of Satan. We know 
that 2,000 years ago, the throne of Satan was in Pergamos. Revelation 2, I believe it is. And the Malach of the congregation of Pergamos write, These things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, even where Hasatan's seat is. And he goes on and says, That faithful one of mine who was slain among you where Hasatan dwells. So something happened in Pergamos that was persecution. And, that, and, and Pergamos is identified as the throne of Satan on earth at that time. And I've taught you this. I believe that the, wherever that throne sits on the earth, because he always has a place where he rules from, is where the, bu- the bulk of anti-Semitic persecution and or Christian persecution, and when I say that, I'm talking about the persecution of those who actually believe. One time it was in Rome. For a long time, because Rome was going around killing people who believed in Yeshua, who wouldn't follow him their way. And that is demonic. I don't care what you say. That is demonic to go around killing people just because they disagree with you in their faith. That's how you're supposed to keep people in the faith? Today, where might it be? I don't know. Obviously, it was once in Germany. Sorry, Eva. (laughs) Perhaps it's in Iran. Perhaps it's in Turkey today. Perhaps it's here. Biden did have behind him the throne of Pergamos at one of his at one of his convention meetings. It was back there. It was the throne of Satan, a picture of it. Behind him. So maybe he was just trying to move it here. I don't know, or maybe it is. They're certainly persecutory toward true people. But we're called out. Yeshua was called out of Egypt. He was sent there to be protected, but then he was called out at the proper time. God sent us to our various places, whether that be through birth or migration or however we got to where we got spiritually, but then he called us out. Once he calls us out, he wants us to stay that way. In our psalm, Psalm 45, we also read this, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Because remember, I got this idea, this, this, the, the, basically the blueprint of what I was going to do today last Sunday morning. And then I read this psalm, Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget also your own people and your father's house. So shall Hamelech the king desire your beauty, for he is your Adonai, and do homage unto him. That's faithfulness to God. Right? Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.